Welcome to the College Student Success Podcast, a podcast where college students and faculty come together to talk about mental health, wellness, mentorship, and entrepreneurship. Together, we set and achieve goals to, for ourselves to get us where we want to be. I'm your host, Derek Malinzak, and this is episode 83 of the podcast. And welcome back, everybody, to week 10 of the standard traditional college semester. I hope you guys have been killing it over the last uh, five weeks or so. Um, I only say five weeks because I'm thinking about the fact that it is week 10. And uh, I want to check in with you guys a little bit at the end about uh, how we're doing with our goals. I will share a little bit um, of information about my progress and um, kind of get get planned up for the next week in uh, terms of our home exercise. So want to get right into the episode, though, because I am hella excited to talk about this topic today. And I know I'm always excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, this is just going to be a, a Just Derek show. And we're going to talk about a topic that I am actually very new to, but I'm very excited about learning. Uh, so it's called Happenstance Learning Theory. And you might be like, ugh, Derek. <laughs> I go to school all day to learn about theories. Uh, why are you hitting me over the head with a theory now in the podcast? I'm trying to escape that kind of stuff. Um, well, because this just might help you out. Uh, this is going to be uh, sort of a talk about the the eternal question that a lot of college students face with dread, and that being the question of, what are you going to be when you grow up? <laughs> and um, for many, this question starts bothering people early on in life because it assumes uh, that people will know that, you know, at whatever, five years old, uh, 10 years old, you know, kids get asked this question, you know, from early on. And it's cute in the beginning, right? My son wants to be a firefighter right now. He's five. Um but to actually know what you want to do, you know, at 15, 16, 17, when you're making those decisions about entering college, um, there's a lot more pressure on the person at that point. So I sort of object to that, you know, and I think a lot of the central themes about the podcast have related to, you know, pushing back against that thought and sort of using college for everything that you can. And this theory that I, I came across really speaks to that, it speaks to the values, I think, of this podcast in terms of finding your way and figuring out what your, your career path will be in a really, in a way that makes sense to me. So we're going to get into it. Um, this was uh, something that I had learned about from a mentor of mine uh, that I've had on the show, actually, Michelle. Uh, I don't know what episode it was, but she was on a while back. You can find it if you go back. It was, uh, I believe, entitled Interview with a Supported Education Expert or something to that effect, and her name was Michelle Mullen. And she was talking about this in a recent uh, department meeting. She brought up happenstance learning theory and how she had just come across it and was really, like, floored by it. And so I had followed up with her, this was months ago, about it and was like, hey, that sounds like a good topic for me to, to follow up on in terms of a podcast idea. Do you have any starting points? And she sent me this article and she did an awesome job because it is like a perfect article for me to kind of base this podcast on. So that's what I'm going to be doing. 
It is linked in the show notes. Uh, it's called The Happenstance Learning Theory. And the, the creator of the theory is John D. Crumboltz. Dr. Crumboltz is a professor at Stanford University. I believe he's still there. Uh, he's definitely still there. I looked him up because I was thinking about bringing him on the show. He's something, he's like, uh, you know, 90 years old at this point and still on, on faculty. So that's like really impressive. Um, so he developed the happenstance learning theory. So at this point, you're probably like, all right, what is it, Derek? So before I tell you what it is, just some disclaimer. So this was developed for career counselors. You know, those people in guidance counselor offices or they may be on campus in a, a career center somewhere tucked away, possibly hidden. You may not even know where it is. And uh, they sort of help guide people towards finding a career that suits them. And so this is who he's talking to. That's his audience with this paper. Uh, so with that said, I know I'm not talking to career counselors here. I'm talking to students and I'm talking to faculty. So I've sort of adapted some of the language um, to take out the references to career counselors or clients, who, which are the people that career counselors are working with, and just replace those those elements with people. And you know, so um, so I'm sort of paraphrasing, going to be paraphrasing a lot of this article, but I did want to you know obviously link to the original article. All right. So now that we sort of have some background on where I found out about it. Um, let me tell you what it is. So this is the abstract, so I think it's good to read. And again, I've, I've adapted it to fit the needs of this audience, which is, I'm just going to refer to as people because it's students and faculty. Okay. What you should be when you grow up need not and should not be planned in advance. Instead, we should engage in a variety of interesting and beneficial activities, ascertaining their reactions, remaining alert to alternative opportunities, and learning skills for succeeding in each new activity. There are four propositions to the happenstance learning theory. The goal is to help people learn to take actions to achieve more satisfying career and personal lives, not to make a single career decision. So that's number one. Number two, assessments are used to stimulate learning, not to match personal characteristics with occupational characteristics. Three, people learn to engage in exploratory actions as a way of generating beneficial and unplanned events. And then the last four, the fourth proposition, success is, success is assessed by what the person accomplishes in the real world. Okay. We're going to go through each of those propositions in a bit more detail uh, in a little while. But as I said, this was developed for counselors in an attempt to explain how and why individuals follow their different paths through life and describe how counselors can facilitate that process, right? So we have those people in those offices tucked away on your campuses. And you may have visited one, right? You may go in and you may say something like, Oh, you know, I'm a freshman in my second semester and I, you know, was going to be a biology major, but now that I'm actually taking bio courses, I realize I don't really like it and I'm not really sure, you know, where to go with my career or my major. <laughs> and, you know, the career counselor might say, you know, oh, you know, you should take these interest inventories. Um, and, you know, what do you like to do and what is your passion? And, you know, and sort of the person might be like, well, I don't know. 
I like to read books. And the person's like, oh, yeah, great. You have an interest in reading books. You might be a good English teacher. <laughs> and the person's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to look into that and starts taking a couple of English classes. And before you know it, yes, that's what happened. Um, <laughs> a perfect world situation right there. Actually, that's kind of similar what happened to me, except I didn't actually end up talking to a career counselor. But I was that person that started out as a bio major and ended up as an English major basically because I liked reading books. <laughs> and look where I am now. Um, has nothing to do with the English um you know, business, so to speak, although I am a teacher. Okay, so if you're a career counselor, I, I imagine that's, I don't know, that's got to get old because that doesn't always work. You know, sometimes people's interests don't really jive with what would make a good career. And so how do you sort of settle that for yourself, right? All right, so let's go back to the article. In a nutshell, happenstance learning theory posits that human behavior is the product of countless numbers of learning experiences made available by both planned and unplanned situations in which individuals find themselves. The learning outcomes include skills, interests, knowledge, beliefs, preferences, sensitivities, emotions, and future actions. All right, so let's dissect that a little bit. So we have all of these different learning experiences all fucking day long, right? And I'm going to go through a bunch of different ways that people learn just to explain like how the sheer number of ways that we, you know, undergo learning throughout the day. And some of these events are things that we plan for ourselves, right? I'm going to, you know, get on the bus and I'm going to go to this place, you know, because I have this thing to do. So you're planning that. But then there are unplanned things that can happen along the way, right? You're planning to take the bus, and all of a sudden, you find out the bus is broken down. And now, all of a sudden, that unplanned event leads to some sort of new opportunity, right? And that's the way we should look at it, as an opportunity, because most people would probably look at it as a hassle. And I can understand why, right? Especially if you have a time-sensitive thing going on and you need to get there and you were planning on that bus, you were depending on that bus to get there and now it's not getting there. It's hard to probably look at that situation and be like, well, I'm just going to look on the bright side because now I'm going on an adventure and I need to find a new way and it was totally unplanned and I might learn something or meet somebody along the way that's going to help me in some way that I never even imagined. <laughs> That's essentially what happenstance learning theory is saying. But, you know, I understand it's not every situation is going to present itself in a way for you to be opportunistic and optimistic to, like, take full advantage of it, right? Um, but we have these things, unplanned and planned things that happen to us all day that lead to learning experiences. And those learning experiences end up becoming new skills, new interests of ours, knowledge that we can now retain, a new belief that we have, uh, a new preference that we have, some new sensitivity that we have to something that we didn't have before, uh, emotions, or any kind of future action, all right? So that's the essential there, uh, basics of it. Okay, so these situations that people find themselves in, they're partly due to two different things, right? They're due to sometimes things that we have absolutely no control over, right? The bus breaking down. Yeah, we couldn't have, even if we were a mechanic, <laughs> unless we were actually responsible for working on that specific bus, there's very little control we have over that situation, all right? 
And then there's also actions where we have some control over the situation, right? Um, where the person sort of initiated themselves to take, you know, ownership or take initiative, right? Um, so we're constantly in this sort of back and forth. It's a, it, I would say it's sort of like a continuum, right? And you're, you should think of yourselves as sort of in the middle, right? There's an almost equal number probably of things happening by happenstance. Happenstance I actually looked up just in case people don't really know what that word means. And it, there was a one-word definition for it online, coincidence. So if you think of the – people may know the word coincidence a little bit more. And so just think of it as a coincidence, right? So it's this like back and forth, this push and pull between things that we have control over and things that are really out of our control. Every situation – now I'm going back to the article – every situation can be seen as presenting potential opportunities if individuals can recognize them and then take action to capitalize on them. The interaction of planned and unplanned actions in response to self-initiated and circumstantial situations is so complex that the consequences are virtually unpredictable and can best be labeled as happenstance or coincidence. It just happened that way due to these unforeseen and some foreseen of elements that just came together in this oh-so-unique way to give us where we're at right now, right? Okay, so I hope you guys are with me so far. Um, I feel pretty good about teaching this so far in terms of like, I understand where I'm at, so I'm, I think I'm, I'm being clear. So the article then has a, a, a paragraph here about goals, and I wanted to read it. It's sort of, you know, off topic from happenstance, but I, I think it's important because of what we've been talking about, and I've been, you know, back and forth on this idea of, you know, oh, maybe people aren't really using this podcast for the ways that I intended with the, um, the goal attainment and the home exercises. So listen to this paragraph. Some argue that having a plan is advantageous, even if it is never realized, because it motivates the individual to study and learn about something. Maybe so, maybe not. I have read and learned about thousands of topics that have nothing to do with my occupation. I have no objection to people making a plan if that makes them happy. I do object to requiring other people to make occupational plans when they are not ready to do so. And I especially object to the notion that you have to stick with an unsatisfactory occupation just because they declared it at one time to be their goal. <laughs> a fucking men, Dr. Crumholtz. <laughs> I love that paragraph. And I'm a goal guy, right? I'm a planner. Uh, you guys probably know that about me by now. I'm here the one telling you, write shit down, have a calendar, have a to-do list. You know, that's the way I live my life. But at the same time, I realize that's not how everybody lives their lives. And I especially agree with the last part, that if you are not happy in something that you thought you were going to be happy in and you set a goal, don't stick with that shit just because you said out of some sort of pride because you don't want to be labeled as a quitter. Go back and listen to my other episode about – it's called the quitters episode if you want to know more about, you know, quitting with dignity and knowing what's a good thing to quit versus what's something that you probably shouldn't. Okay, so let's go into – why people behave the way they do. I'm going to give you, is it nine ways? Nine different, eight or nine <laughs> different ways that people learn, and not that people learn, that people behave in the way they do. 
And I'm just going to go through them briefly because I think it helps in thinking about what happenstance really encompasses. You know, it's all of these different factors coming together to influence our behavior. So we have genetic influences, right? We behave the way we do because to a certain extent, we have these genes that predispose us to behave that way. And those are often related to, you know, how our our parents, our biological parents behave. That's the, the nature in the nature versus nurture argument. But there's plenty of nurture arguments in here too about behavior. So we have genetics, right? Number two, learning experiences. These are like what I would consider the mundane, everyday life things that you do, but they actually end up teaching you something, right? Um, so learning is happening all the time. Much of it may not necessarily be very consequential, right? We notice the dress, grooming and behavior of other people. And that might teach you something like, oh, you know, I noticed there were five different women today wearing the same, you know, style of outfit. I guess I just learned that, you know, uh, that's, a, that's a trend right now, a fashion trend, you know, and you might not even recognize this consciously over the course of the day, or you might, but this is like some of the ways that we sort of learn and then respond, the response is our behavior. But these are things that are like not very consequential. Then we have the things that are consequential, right? Which uh, Krumholtz labels number three, instrumental learning experiences. So they're the things that happen when individuals observe the consequences of their actions, right? I talk about this with my son all the time, right? I'm trying to teach him that, you know, failure is okay as long as you learn something. And it's like we use we turn we use the term consequence instead of like punishment because. It's not as it doesn't have as much of that connotation. You can have positive consequences too, right? You learn something and you are rewarded for it. Hey, great fucking job, dude! You know that that teaches you something and that might influence your behavior. Versus and also a negative consequence, of course, right? You get called out in the middle of your class by your instructor for not being prepared. You know, it's like oh. Uh, I'm, I learned from that experience. The consequence of that feeling is I'm not going to, uh, you know, I'm not going to mess up on my work and I'm going to behave differently. I'm going to, I'm going to be on top of shit. All right. The fourth, we have associative learning experiences. So these are everyday life, but more of a type of social learning. So observing the environment or behavior of others. Um, let's see. So advertising, you see tons of this associative learning. You learn through ads. Um, talk about like how children are much more prone to associative learning experiences. Um, so that's number four. And I think there's a lot of overlap there with like uh, the one I brought up earlier with learning experiences. So environmental conditions and events really impact the way people behave right? If you are normally a docile person and all of a sudden you, your environment changes so that you don't have any food and water, your behavior might change from docile to aggressive in certain situations. And it would best be described by the associative, uh, by the environmental conditions. Number six, we have parents and caretakers are the people that influence our behavior. I'm not going to say too much about that. It's pretty pretty straightforward. Peer groups, same thing. Uh, at a, at a later date, I'd say, you know, after you know the the child is a little more grown up. So this is where you know my son's starting, I think, to get more influenced and behave differently based on his peer groups than his family because he's spending more time with them. And then number eight, 
Yeah, there were eight of them. Uh, Structured educational settings. So school, (laughs) you know, these are these are it's a big part of how we behave the way we do. Uh, Quote here from Krumholtz. Schools are supposed to be institutions where all children can learn, improve and begin a self-motivated lifelong love of learning. (laughs) I love that. Uh, Unfortunately, this ideal goal is achieved less often than we might desire. A good part of the reason is that schools have made education a competitive sport. And I think the faculty out there in the audience can sort of, you know, they're probably like, yeah, oh, holla back, Derek. And I'm like, yeah. Um, and that is a disappointment, you know, and that sort of gets at the, the podcast I had done a few weeks ago. The last one I did on my own about grades, you know, and, and how they may not they, they may seem important, but it's these these learning experiences that are actually the real important thing. These happenstance things that occur that we can't really plan for that well. All right. So these are all of the things that influence our behavior, right? We behave differently based on the schooling we have, the friends that we make, our parents and people that around us that raise us, our environment, learning experiences through things like print and digital media, advertising. Instrumental learning experiences are the things like that have a consequence associated with them that make the behavior, you know, extra important. Um, Learning experiences that we endure in everyday life and genetic influences. So just a recap of different reasons for why we behave differently. All right, so now I want to go back into those four fundamental elements that make up the happenstance learning theory. All right. So uh, number one, proposition one, the goal is to help people learn to take actions to achieve more satisfying career and personal lives, not to make a single career decision. All right. What does that mean? Right. So that means we should, as parents, as friends, as, you know, just people that associate with students, Maybe we shouldn't ask that question of what do you want to be when you grow up anymore? Because very, 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 very few of us actually know the answer to that question. Uh, and the, the less of us know it, the, early, the younger we are, right? I like this quote from Krumholtz. Committing to an occupation is a one-sided deal. Young people who commit themselves to one occupation receive no commitment from the occupation in return. That's some heady shit right there, right? Uh, if you make that commitment to be like, I am going to be a veterinarian. No offense to the veterinarians out there, but that just picked one out of my ass, right? So that's great. I would applaud somebody that had that much direction and that much uh, ambition to go about, you know, med school is what essentially being a veterinarian is. Um now, once you make that declaration, is the American Association of Veterinarians going to come out and be like, oh, hell yeah, Derek just said he's going to be a veterinarian. Let's make sure we make that happen. No, no, that's probably not going to happen. Sorry, guys. You know, so the, the profession owes you nothing, especially in the beginning when you don't really haven't made any contributions to the profession. Naming a future occupation is amazingly simple and can easily be faked, right? 
I remember faking it <laughs> through college. And I've told this story on the podcast before. I'm not going to tell it again. But, you know, I basically chose my university because of a occupation that my fucking mom thought I'd be good at. <laughs> you know, I didn't really know. I faked it and was like, okay, that sounds good, mom. Um, it worked in that it got me to college. <laughs> the hard part, though, is taking the actions necessary for achieving the goal, not just starting it. Or not just stating it. Sorry. Um, and that is really, again, what, what the podcast is all about, right? Is, is trying to help students that have those thoughts in their mind. Like, I wish I could blank. You know, that's why I'm here. <laughs> is trying to help students get from that to I did it. <laughs> um, and somewhere in between, even if it's a partial thing, right? So, all right. So we're not in this business to make one single decision, all right? And here's a quote to end with before we get to the second proposition. Being undecided can be reframed as open-mindedness. The adjective undecided seems to have a negative connotation in our society. Yeah. Politicians who change their mind on an issue are labeled as wishy-washy or a flip-flopper. So if you are undecided about your future, as indeed every sensible person should be, don't call yourself undecided. Call yourself open-minded. You'll get more respect even though the two terms mean the same thing. I believe that, you know, you are what you make of your situation. So I think that that's a really sort of good way to, to look at, you know, the, the journey that we're all on right now. All right, proposition two. Career assessments are used to stimulate learning, not to match personal characteristics with occupational characteristics. All right, so if anyone's out there taking one of these... Um, career interest inventories or personality tests or any of this shit, um, it does not, it should not be looked at as a way to match up, match you up with an occupation, right? It's just a way to get a conversation started about what you like and the kind of person you are. So there's two types that I'm going to link to in the show notes for today because I think they are worthy to do. I think they're, they can be valuable to kind of open our minds to explore different interests that we may not have even thought we may have liked. And that's what it should be used for, right? Uh, I've done a number of the uh, career interest inventories back in the day when I worked in community mental health, helping people find jobs. And these were usually used early in the process, right, for people that were like, yeah, I want to find a job, but I just don't know where, where I want to work. And we might do one of these. It was like the self-directed search was one of them. Um, they list here the strong, in, the strong interest inventory. Strong, I think, was the, the last name of the person that developed it. That's the one I'm going to try and look for and link in the show notes. I'm, I don't actually think I've done that one. But they're, they're all pretty much the same. And so you can use that to help find new attractive activities or interests to explore. Not to decide, oh, this inventory says I'd be good botanist. So botany degree, here I come. <laughs> um, you need to do some exploration first, right? And then they also name personality assessments. And in particular, they name one that I do have experience with, which is the MT MBTI, the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator. Uh, you, I will provide a link to that in the show notes for today. Um, I'm trying to rack my brain to figure out if I've ever talked about those on a podcast. But if I haven't, uh, I just might do one on the Myers-Briggs in the future because I, I will never forget the training I did where we had 
where I did my first Myers-Briggs, and we actually had professionals that were trained in it come in and interpret the scores for us. It was a team-building activity for a job. And it was the coolest it was the coolest training I, I ever did. You know, it, I, I learned so much in that about myself and about how I work with other people. It didn't, though, define my career for me. You know, it wasn't something that I took and then was like, whoa, this means I'm going to be this in my life. You know, um, but it did help me figure out like the people that I work well with, the people that I struggle to work with, and, and some of the reasons behind that. So I actually really encourage people to check these things out. Interest inventories and personality assessments. All right. So that's the third one. It's like these things are cool. They can be helpful, but they don't help you arrive at an occupation. They just help you figure out places to explore. So, all right, let's get into the third proposition here. All right, we got proposition three. People learn to engage in exploratory, exploratory actions as a way of generating beneficial unplanned events. And this one to me is like the essence of happenstance theory. Um, unplanned events are a normal and necessary component of every career. Every action involves risk. So with that in mind, what can we do to maximize or take advantage or leverage these unplanned events into opportunities, right? This is going to be part of your home exercise. And this is a hard one this week, but I'm going to challenge you guys, all right? So three steps in controlling unplanned events. Here they are. Number one, before the event, take actions that position you to experience it, all right? Number two, during the event, remain alert and sensitive to recognize potential opportunities. Number three, after the event, you initiate actions that enable you to benefit from it. All right, so these steps are actually pretty easy. I'm going to try and give an example. Actually, no, they have one here. I'm going to give this example from the article, and then I'll give some examples of my, from my own life. Okay, so... Here's a story that, of a woman from England who moved to the United States and could not find a job. The unplanned event was a chance meeting where she was told about a bank that was training new staff members. How did this happen? All right. So the first step, remember, before the unplanned event, take actions to position you, yourself to experience the event. So actions that happened to put her in the right position. She joined a health club and struck up a conversation in the jacuzzi with another lady who told her about a bank that was hiring, right? And that could be anywhere, any of us, right? We're just sitting there, you know, and you meet somebody random and you start talking about them and it ends up being a topic that you are personally interested in, you know? All right, number two, then she had to recognize the opportunity, remain alert and sensitive to, the, to it, right? So she obtained the name of the person doing the hiring and then went and applied for the position. So she didn't just say, oh, that's cool. All right, nice meeting you. See you later. She, she took the extra step, right? Because chances are you're never going to see that woman again. And if you don't get the information then, you know, that was your happenstance. That was your opportunity right there. you got to act on it. So she did. She, act, she got the name of the person. And then after the event, initiating actions that enable you to benefit, what she did, despite having no previous banking experience, she learned accounting skills that she put to use when later she applied for and obtained an accounting job with a high-tech company. You know, sounds like, oh, you know, that person was just in the right place at the right time. That's the fucking point. 
do the things that put yourself in the right place at the right time. Yeah, she didn't know going into that jacuzzi that that was going to be the right place. But she took advantage of it when she realized, oh, I got an opportunity sitting right here. All right. Let me give you two examples of my life. So the way I even got into this career, you know, as I said, I was an English major, right? Um, I wasn't taking any steps in my um, in my college degree, in my college career to position myself to make the best of my degree when I got out, right? I wasn't networking with teachers. I wasn't exploring certification programs. I was thinking, oh, maybe when I get out, I'll just apply to some schools. And that wouldn't have even worked. <laughs> so I had no plan on how to actually take advantage of my degree when I earned it. And so senior year, um, you know, kind of just like taking the classes I need. I'm really not even thinking about it. But I was out of money at this point. Uh, I was broke uh, as a college student. And so I lived, and I know I've told this story before, but, you know, it's important as it relates here. I lived with uh, a bunch of uh, students. It was in senior year, I lived with seven other uh, people. Oh, it was quite a house. And like five of them had already graduated and were working full time. And a number of them worked for the same uh, mental health agency. So they were all psychology majors. I happened to be a psych minor, so I had an interest in it. And so they knew the hiring manager and they were like, hey, you're looking for some money. You know, you could get a part time job where we're working. And that was a very easy entryway, right? I already knew four or five people in the organization. They knew the hiring manager and could put in a good word for me. You know, like, hey, this is our friend. You know, he knows this person, this person, this person. And that gives the hiring manager a clue like, okay, this person can, you know, anticipates what the job is going to be like, right? Um, so I just went down and it was just, it was going to just be a part-time job for me, you know? Um, and so the, what I recognized, the, the opportunity, is at when I graduated, the one of the supervisors being like, hey, you know, you're interested in a full-time job, you know, and then gave me the steps. And I was like, yes. And I followed up with them, applied, and I got the full-time job. That full-time job became my career. So it really was the part-time job that started everything. But that full-time job was really what solidified it because I could have done anything, you know, once I got the degree. But I already had this foot in the door and I was already working this opportunity. So I figured, let me just keep doing it. You know, I like the people. Second one was me getting a job, my, my current job at Rutgers. Um, a, a couple of years prior, my, again, Michelle, the woman that told me about this happenstance theory, was uh, working at Rutgers and they were charged with training some agencies and supported education. And I wasn't very interested in the opportunity. I, I just glossed over it. And she actually reached out to me. and was like, hey, I think you should do this. And that was like, that was the coincidence. She remembered me from something else I had done. She reached out to me and I was like, all right, since this person's reaching out to me, I'm going to do it. So I did that thing and I did it. And it was like two years later before it ever turned, made, became the opportunity when she was looking for a faculty position, you know, position was open and remembered me and, and you know, kind of said, hey, you should, you know, apply for this. And that became my second career, you know, in academia. So that is, I think, the most important element of the happenstance theory is this idea 
that we have to engage in exploratory actions as a way of generating beneficial unplanned events. And that was really, you know, that's just, I don't know, it tries to be the main theme that I talk about when it comes to college every week. Proposition four. Okay, last part, and then we're going to talk a little bit to faculty and then the home exercises. So success is a success. I have a hard time with this one. Success is assessed by what the person accomplishes in the real world. All right. What this means is talk is cheap and it's what you actually do that matters. Right. This is why I have these home exercises every week, you know, to try and put some structure and some emphasis on on achieving some small thing because those small things eventually motivate us once we can string together a few of them to become big and great things right so let's see when with each this is getting back to again this is talking to career counselors when each counseling session ends the client should have formulated and promised to take at least one relevant action in his or her own life before the next session right and that's what i try and do here right what can we do once one little thing we can do this week to get us closer to our goal? And next week, you're hopefully like, ah, I got that thing done. Now let me, I'm already thinking about the next thing, right? Um, I just think all of the best interventions out there that help people all involve this element of like a home exercise or something you do on your own time because your time with the facilitator, podcaster, therapist, whatever is so limited that you need to take advantage of the time outside of what you're spending with them to, to get, you know, real shit done, right? Um, so the podcast is an example of that with the home exercises. If anyone's ever engaged in cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, if I was going into therapy, that's what I would be looking for somebody trained in, an expert in CBT. That's, you know, to me, that that's what therapy is. So, and the cognitive behavioral therapy is big on giving homework in between counseling sessions. Um, the other thing, illness management and recovery, which is an evidence-based practice in our field, which helps people sort of learn how to manage your illness, you know, is a, one of these other things that involves like home exercises, doing real things in between the meetings. All right. So that is happenstance learning theory, guys. Um, I really felt it was an important thing to bring to you, especially for the people that might be struggling to seek out the things that this theory tries to get people not to do, right? They don't want people answering that question or having to bother to answer a question of what do you want to do when you grow up when you don't feel like answering it? You know, it's really about taking advantage of unplanned opportunities, maximizing and leveraging them when they're happening, recognizing that they're happening and then following up on them. You know, it's very simple in a sense, but I like this as an approach to figuring out your way in life. You know, it's a lot of trial and error, but it's a lot of like low stakes trial and error, right? Uh, who gives a fuck if you mess it up, right? A lot of this stuff. Um, so, all right, a little bit for faculty. So some practical implications for applying the happenstance learning theory to education would produce these recommendations. I love this part of the uh, of the paper and students stick with me because I think you'll you'll find some get something out of this. So help each person, help each student improve from his or her own starting point. Don't set the bar for success at any one level for anyone. You know, I think that that is a very 
everybody probably says that, but I don't know if everyone does it, right? You know, to kind of have an individualized approach to teaching and, and your, your goal as a teacher is to get each person to improve in their own way at their own level from based on their own starting point. Number two, concentrate on individual achievement, not group achievement. Number three, reward improvement and success for a variety of learning outcomes. So this is sort of like talking about high stakes testing, but like, you know, I've really tried to do this, you know, this, this semester, I've had a couple of um, assignments that students as a group, you know, have just hit it out of the ballpark. You know, they really did a great job. And I've like heaped some praise on them because it was worthy, you know, it was worth it. And there was like, I want to keep seeing work like that. So I recognized it when it was really good. Um, making educational process satisfying, enjoyable for all participants, students, teachers, parents, counselors, administrators, <laughs> suffering is neither necessary nor desirable for learning. So that might be something to pass on to your administrators, uh, faculty that are out there. I know that you may have a limited effect on your department. Um, make, uh, sorry, number five, arrange circumstances that require students to perform valuable learning tasks. Students learn best from their own actions, not from lectures. This is something that I'm really working on as an instructor this semester with what the new course that I've been teaching and developing this semester. It's been, uh, it's a course that really lends itself well to personal exploration and then applying what you learn about yourself to the field, to the larger, the field at hand. So I think if instructors and faculty members can try and do this to get students to, and it doesn't work in all programs, right? It's hard to do this in a math class, for example, but in a lot of other ones, it's, there's a way to, to make the learning activity personalized to the student. And that ends up motivating them or gives them ownership over the activity, which is more likely to, to result in it being done really well. And then the last one, assess the outcomes of education by performance of students and graduates in the real world. Making bubbles on multiple choice answer sheets are not the goal of education. And that is easier said than done, right? Um, so I don't really have any great suggestions for how to do that. But I think it's definitely a great one to leave on as I think that we all, to some extent, teachers know that like real world improvement is what we're looking for. That's the goal, not just, you know, a better score on an exam. So, all right. I really enjoyed this week's episode, guys. Uh, your home exercise this week is to attempt to plan some happenstance for yourself. Uh, try to take advantage of an unplanned event. You know, um, something that I, I tried to do last week related to this, I, I had a meeting with this person that I'd never met before, so this instructional design person, and I had a reason for the meeting. But I also had some, like, as I was driving there, I had some other things that I was going to try and get out of the meeting, you know, some information, you know, just some some resources, not, not the stuff that I was purposely going for, but the stuff that I was like, hmm if this person ends up having this other stuff, this might lead to an additional opportunity for me to sort of collaborate with them. So try and plan some of that, that happenstance. And the way you do it is, is here. They list it here. This is page 144 of the document right at the bottom. You know, before the event, take actions that position you experience it. During the event, remain alert and sensitive to recognize opportunities. After the event, initiate actions that enable you to benefit from it. 
And that, my friends, is the episode for this week. Um, progress this week, you know, you may want to check in on your goal progress as well. You got five more weeks. We got five more weeks of the, of the podcast before we will take a little hiatus for the holidays. And so I am, um, I have not made much progress this semester, uh, or this month, unfortunately. Um, I checked my downloads for the month of October and they were within like a dozen, I think, or, you know, it was less than 50, of the uh, of the previous month, so I have not grown. Um, I've not been able to grow the podcast, and it's remarkable how consistent the numbers have been over the last, I'd say, five months or so. But I'm not letting it get me down. Uh, I got some other things that I'm going to try. Um, I'm going to put, I think, some of my uh, some of the episodes that have been more popular. I'm going to put them on YouTube. And yeah, they they really won't be able to watch anything, but I just think that'll be a way to grow the audience to people might, you know, hear about it through YouTube and then end up finding the podcast Um, just because YouTube seems so, so popular these days that just having a little bit of presence on there, I think, might lend itself to some increased, uh, you know, checking me out. So, uh, you know, that's one thing I'm trying to do, I think, over the next month. So if you guys are uh, YouTubers, uh, look me up, but uh, I'll put out some information after I have some stuff up. Otherwise, happy to uh, happy to be here with you this week. And uh, yeah, write in. Let me know how your progress is going. Let me know what you think of planned happenstance. And um, you know, keep these elements in mind. Keep these things in mind because I think it's a really valuable way to look at you know where you want to get in life without some of that undue pressure that exists with not knowing. So have a great week, everybody. I will be back at you next Thursday. Peace.